Indeed, what a beautiful prayer we just sang together. Allow me to say good morning to to each of you here in the room and for those of you worshiping with us online. I'm so glad you've made the decision to be with us today to, to worship as we come to the conclusion of our five-week worship series, Define Reality, Offer Hope. The basis for our series is rooted in a fundamental leadership principle that a good leader should define reality. Don't sugarcoat it, don't massage it, whether it's good, whether it's bad, define reality accurately and effectively. And offer hope. Hope not in the form of Pollyannish, pie-in-the-sky, wishful thinking, but hope that has an anticipation, an expectation of what is to come. You know, hope has an energy that arouses the heart and mind to look for, to anticipate, to step into and explore every possibility for embracing the future. Define reality. Offer hope. Over these past four weeks, Scripture has led us to several defined realities. The here we are of exile. What means to be dead in our sin and transgression. The pain of the groanings of today's world. And the struggle that comes when the church is not united. Now, within all of those realities, we've also leaned in to hope. The hope of trusting God and settling in in the midst of the here we are of exile. The hope of God's grace and forgiveness of our sins. The hope of patiently straining forward in anticipation of God's transformation of today's groanings. The hope we have and can experience and share through the unity we have in Christ. And now this morning, we turn to one of the Gospels. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter. And as you're turning there, the setting is this. It is Jesus' final night with the disciples. He has washed their feet to provide an example of what it means to be a servant leader. He has told them that One of them is going to betray him, that he is going to be crucified. This is his last shared time with them. So he's summarizing some of his teachings. You know, what is he going to say to them to offer that last little bit of encouragement? What is it that he really wants to emphasize and leave them with? This sits in in, in a larger context called the Farewell Discourse. From the 13th chapter of John to the 17th chapter of John, we get the whole experience of Jesus' final conversations and experiences with the disciples. 
including a, a beautiful prayer at the end that he prays over top of the disciples and on behalf of future believers like us. And so John 15 sits right in the middle of that farewell discourse of Jesus' final opportunity to share what's on his heart. John chapter 15, we're going to pick it up with the first verse and read through verse 12. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. There is a lot here within these verses. And where I want to begin and focus our attention are in the two verses, verses 1 and verses 5, where Jesus makes the I am statement. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. I am the vine, you are the branches. You know, if there was ever any question about Jesus and his role and his relationship, he is making it abundantly clear in these I am statements. He is showing the interconnectedness between God and himself and with the community of faith, with the believers. So all three elements... The gardener, God, the vine, Jesus, the branches, us. We are all dependent upon and related to one another so that we can produce fruit. The I am statements show us once again that Jesus is the connector between God and the community of faith. Let's keep going into verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, remember, this is Jesus speaking. So when he says, he cuts off, he's referring to God. Every branch in me, Jesus is referring to himself. So how can it be that the Son of God, the, 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 the perfection that we find in Jesus how could it be that there would be things in him that aren't bearing fruit, that have to be cut off? And that's because, you know, Jesus is the vine. We 
are the branches. That's the reality. You know, so, so when I read this as a believer, because that's who Jesus is talking about here, believers. He's not talking about non-believers because non-believers have not yet connected to that vine for life. He's talking about believers. He's talking about people in the community of faith. And so I read this and I go, oh my gosh. As a believer, I might be cut off because I'm not bearing fruit. Contrasted with those that will be pruned to bear more fruit. Now, for, for, for you gardeners, for, for those of you who like working in the yard, flowers, bushes, trees, you know the importance of pruning. You know those seasons in which you have to cut back a little bit so that you can gain and grow so much more. And so Jesus is saying that that's going to be the case with believers. We're going to prune so that they can grow and produce more, but there are going to be some that are going to fall off and be disconnected and away. Now when Jesus talks about fruit, what comes to my mind is the fruit of the Spirit. You know, it, it's listed for us in Galatians. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I remember that song from Vacation Bible School when I was a little guy. All of that fruit is important. All of that fruit of the Spirit is part of the body and, and part of what is produced. But in this particular passage, in this particular instance, Jesus is talking about love. He is specifically pointing to the production of fruit that is love. Now for many, love is an emotion. You know, we associate it with the love we have for our parents, for our spouse, for our children, for our siblings, maybe. Or the love we have for chocolate or ice cream or our favorite team, Go Heels. But love is so much more than that. Love transcends the emotion. Love in its purest form is when we are for and act on behalf of and in the interest of others. In its purest form, love is when we are for and act on, on behalf of, and in the interest of others. Now Jesus lived this. And, and Jesus taught this. I encourage you to, to go back, reread the Gospels, and take note of every time Jesus said or did something in which he was acting on behalf of or in the interest of someone else. It will give you a new perspective on the Gospel. A couple of examples. In the 14th chapter of Luke, Jesus has been invited to the home of a Pharisee, a religious leader of the day, to have dinner. And while he's there, he notices the jockeying that's going on among the guests. For they're trying to receive and get the seats of honor for dinner. The seats of honor would be those that are closest to the host. And so he watches as the people are maneuvering and, and jockeying to get those seats of honor. He says, wait a minute. Don't seek out the seats of honor. 
Humble yourself. And then he turns to the host and says, you know, when you have parties like this, don't invite your friends and your rich neighbors. Invite the poor and the crippled and the lame. Jesus is teaching them to be for and act on behalf of And in the interest of others, he's urging them to love. Mark chapter 6 is another occasion where Jesus has been teaching and healing for a long period of time all day. And he's just exhausted. He tells the disciples, I am tired. I need to rest. I need to pray. I need some time to myself. I've got to recharge. And so the disciples are sure. And they carry him away from the crowds only for the crowds to follow. And then Mark tells us Jesus looked upon those crowds with compassion. And so he spent more time with them. So much time that, that it took all day and, and, and got to be dinner time. And the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, you know, there's probably about 5,000 people here. We need to send them away. They need to go eat. And Jesus said, no. You feed And that's what they did. Time and time again, Jesus, in his teachings and his actions, is showing us what it means to be for and act on behalf of and in the best interest of others. That's love. That's why he's leaving them with this. But you know, we live in an iPod, iPad, iPhone, I, I, I world. But Jesus showed us a better way. Not only in the way that he taught about the kingdom of God, in the way that he showed respect and dignity to the marginalized, in the way that he healed people, but ultimately, by the way that he willingly went to the cross. Is there any greater example of being for and acting on behalf of and in the best interest of you and me and Jesus going to the cross. And that's where he's headed when he tells the disciples to love as I have loved you. Every reality that we've considered over the past four weeks has been leading us to this. To this reality. And hope of what it means to love. So Jesus says, abide in me. Stay connected to me. Keep my commandments. And if you do that, then you will love. You will love as I have loved you. 
So, I mean, how do we do that? I mean, we can read that and say, yeah, you know, stay connected to, to Jesus. You know, God's the, the gardener. Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. But, but what can we actually do to stay connected, to abide? Well, a couple of things. And part of it starts with this. Part of it starts with the Scripture. Part of it starts with reading and learning and understanding. Not, not just for the sake of gaining knowledge. Just, not just for the sake of, of maybe having greater insight or understanding. But to know the heart of Jesus. We've got to start there. Getting to know the heart of Jesus. Through the words that are shared with us. And then, we've got to come alongside of others. As we learn about that heart and share that heart, we've got to be in community. You know, faith and discipleship, at their best, are participatory. Faith and discipleship, at their best, are participatory. A life of faith, was never intended to be lived in isolation. A life of faith was never intended to be a spectator sport. I mean, the Apostle Paul tells us, work out your faith with fear and trembling. That means take responsibility for it. Do something with it. Make sure it's active. And Jesus had the same intention. Jesus intended for it to be within the community of faith. More than just reading and understanding the heart of God and Jesus, but, but doing it within community. And part of what we're doing here is that community. You know, the worship of God is so important to the community of faith. But you know, you can only connect at a certain level in worship. It's the life groups. It's the small groups. It's the sharing of life with others at a more intimate level where that true growth starts to take place. You know, Jesus modeled this. Jesus had a small group. He had 12 guys he spent time with. He understood that, that faith and discipleship at their best are participatory. So he shared life with them. And it's important for us to do the same. Yeah, and, and then right in the middle, you know, Jesus says, hey, if you ask for stuff in my name, we'll give it to you. Th that's prayer. Now, that's a whole other sermon about what it means to maybe get what you ask for. But he is stressing the importance of prayer. So it starts with the word and leans into community with an element of prayer and how we share life together. When we abide in that way, when we share life in that way, it leads us to these final few verses that are just beautiful. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy 
may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Past four weeks have brought us to this moment. There is no greater hope than the love of Jesus. Than the love that he has for you and for me. So whatever the here we are moments that you're having in exile, Jesus wants your joy to be complete by trusting God, settling in, and loving one another. Whatever sin that is in need of the forgiveness of God, love one another. Whatever painful groanings of this world that you are patiently straining forward through seeking the transformation that comes from God, love one another. Whatever schisms that need to be mended to bring unity, love one another. All that we've shared in the realities of life, and even those that we've not discussed, but that we know are coming. Jesus wants us to love one another as He has loved us. Now we all fall short of the glory of God. If we will do our best to abide in and stay connected to the true vine that is Jesus. We will live into his commands and we will experience that love in a way that we can love others. So the the question for each of us is, are these, what change do I need to make so that I can better abide in Jesus? What steps do I need to take so that I can be for and act on behalf of and in the best interest of others? Where do I need to do a better job of receiving the love of Jesus? Maybe forgiving myself for some things. So that I can then be for and act on behalf of and in the best interest of others. Jesus is urging us that he has such a depth of love for us. If we will but receive it and abide in him that we can love others. And so as our team comes to lead us in our final song, indeed is a time of reflection. Worship is our opportunity to respond to God 
So I hope as we sing this song together, if there are next steps you're thinking through, if you have questions, thoughts, I hope this will be an opportunity for you to think about those next steps that you need to take so that you can abide in Jesus and be for and act on behalf of and in the best interest of others.